0: I want to take the next uh, day, today, and the next few Sundays, and um, I want to talk about the faithfulness of God to us. And the, the, the title of the messages over the next few Sundays are going to be The Laws of the Harvest. The Laws of the Harvest. You know, one thing about God is that God is very organized and He is very structured, and nothing rattles Him. You know, no matter what's happening in our life, God is still God. Amen? And he is still on the throne, and he is still worthy, and he is still absolutely in control of everything. I know that you probably are like me in some cases, and sometimes our days just kind of spin out of control, and we're not really sure if we're going up or going down. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, some days are just that way. But, you know, in those days, we know that God is on the, on the job. He's doing what he does, and, he, and he's doing it very well. Those can be testing days for us for sure. But God isn't out of control and he's not alarmed by those days, just so you know that. He's not alarmed. We can learn a lot as we look at the harvest laws of God and the laws of nature that God has set up. And I pray that over the next few weeks we're going to understand more about that. Um, God has established some laws and he's established some principles in life that are never changing. Like everything about God, he designs and institutes practices and laws and principles that are always applicable in a believer's life, no matter what we're dealing with. No matter if it's in the area of our finances or in the area of our emotional strength or emotional uh, stability or our um, mental health, it doesn't make any difference. The principles that we're going to be talking about today and the next few weeks are going to be applicable in every area of our life. And as always, if, if we apply these principles, then our life will become more fulfilled. As we live by God's laws, and as we live by the, by the strategies that he's put in place, he will make us more productive now and more effective in our future in eternity. We'll be more impactful to those around us in the sphere of influence that we're, that we're in, and we will be rewarded greatly in time. In fact, when I look at God's principles, when I learn to live by them, there are no downsides. There may be discipline required on my side, and there may be some hard work required, and it may require me putting myself down and lifting Christ up as Christ becomes more and I become less. But in all of that, there is no negative for me. It may appear difficult and it may appear maybe that it's not so good but there is not there's not any downsides to us applying the, the principles of God's word in our life. Do you believe that? Have you lived it out? Have you proven it in your life? Yeah, I'll bet most of us have here. If we have any years behind us at all living in a Christian life I think we all can have testimonies of how God is faithful to us even in the times when we don't see it. God always comes through In the end, and so as we talk about God's harvest laws over the next few days, next few weeks, I think we're going to really see ourselves to be blessed. Now, I learned about these four harvest laws um, primarily from Dr. David Jeremiah. Does everybody, anybody know who he is? Yeah, and I actually I I taught on this uh, about 25 years ago in Brighton. It's been that long, 25 years. And you know what? And not one of these laws have changed. <laughs> They're still the same as they were then. In fact, we talked about these back in 2013. So if you were here in 2013, some of this may seem a little bit familiar with you, but I just feel that these laws are worth repeating because they really are that powerful today. The four laws that we're going to talk about are number one, the one we're going to talk about today, the law of investment. And that says you reap if you sow. The second law is the law of identity and that means you reap what you sow. The third law is the law of increase which says you reap more than you sow. And then finally the fourth law is the law of interval which says sow and then be patient because there's going to be some time required in it. So today we want to talk about the law of investment. You know, um, This is probably one of the simpler ones to understand because it's pretty obvious. You don't sow, I'm sorry, you don't reap if you don't sow. If you're going to sow, if you're going to expect to reap something, you have to sow something in advance. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop, right? So to take this a step backwards, really you have to look at it and say that if the farmer plants no seeds, he will get what? No crop. It makes sense. It really doesn't take a lot of uh, deep thought here to get this one. <laughs> if you're going to get a kernel, if you're going to get a, an ear of corn, you need to plant A corn seed. Or if you're going to get a tomato, you need to plant a tomato seed. So the farmer knows that the the seed is only valuable to him if he plants it in fertile soil, covers it with dirt, and then protects it until it bears fruit. The seed that he has in his hand um, may appear very valuable in itself. But until he will take the time or take the uh, and, and trust the law of investment, that seed will be wasted and it will not come to its full potential until he buries it. Until he does what he's supposed to do with it, and that is, he is supposed to plant it. Um, and as he plants it, then he has to watch it and nurture it and protect it until it bears fruit. We can be very um, impatient here, we plant the seed and if the farmer doesn't trust it, he can plant the seed and maybe gets uncomfortable and he doesn't realize there's something really happening with that seed and he, he might want to uncover it to see if it's germinating yet and see if it's making any roots. And, and as soon as he does that, what's going to happen to the seed? He's going to kill it. He's going to kill it a second time because the seed won't bear fruit. So he has to be patient with it. Take take corn, for example. The farmer plants a single kernel of corn in the ground and he can receive anywhere from two to 3,000 kernels in return from one kernel. That's a pretty good investment, isn't it? Pretty good return on your investment to think that you could plant one seed and with that get two to 3,000 kernels in return. But if the farmer didn't trust the rules of farming and saw the seeds in his hand to be more valuable than potentially the two to three that would come down the road, he has to have faith believing that that cold, wet, damp soil is going to do something magical to that seed. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't have much of a harvest come fall, would he? He might get a few straggling plants that maybe have stuck around from last fall, but he he wouldn't get a law of investment. So the principle that seeds need to be sown if a harvest is to be expected is true. Now let me give you an example of this in a little story. And maybe you've heard this story before, but it's a parable of the pump. Jackie knows it well. It's the parable of the pump. Let me just read this to you so you can understand a little bit more what we're talking about here. A thirsty man crossing the desert stumbled upon a well with an old-fashioned hand-operated pump. Hanging on the pump handle was a small jar of water with a crude sign. Pour this water into the pump and it'll give you all the water you need. Then leave the jar full of water so the next traveler can prime the pump. The man was so thirsty that he was tempted to gulp down the water and ignore the sign. Finally, he decided to pour the water into the pump handle. Sure enough, after a few minutes, the water expanded the seal in the pump, and he began to pump up an ample supply of clear, cold water. He went away with his thirst quenched, his canteen filled, and the jar also filled ready for the next traveler. Being a faithful steward is something like priming the pump. When we take our eyes off ourselves and our short-term needs and think about long-term and about the needs of others, we are um, invariably will be blessed in the process. One of the great joys of life. Now that is a simple little story, but there's so much truth in that. What if that traveler in the story, wouldn't have trusted the sign. What if he would have just drank the water in the jar, thinking that I, I'm so thirsty, I am not going to risk dumping out my water supply into this cold, dry pump? What would have happened? Well, there's potential risks that could have happened. Number one, the water that in that jar could have been non-potable, and he wouldn't have known it. So he could have drank that that jar of water thinking that it was going to quench his thirst and that if that was non-potable it could have caused him sickness and possibly death. Not a good result. Or what, or what happens if, if maybe he said I'll just drink a little bit of the water and then I'll pour what's left into the pump. Well that might have been probably could have been the risk of partial success and that I'm partially uh, quenched in my thirst and but maybe not enough water to do the job in priming the pump so he would have walked away with partial success and let me pause here a minute because this is a big deal as we apply this into our life because our world today is full of partial truth right partial truth will get you nowhere you might there might be just enough truth in what is said that would make you think that that person is on the right road or doing the right thing or claiming the right thing, but if the truth isn't complete, it's going to be non-successful and take you to the place where you think you're going. Wow, that's huge. That really is a big one today because um, there are so many things out there that look good on the outside, that look good in the short term, but the long term there is not the path that we want to go down. So we need to really recognize that. This is a a big deal for us today because partial truths never satisfy. They always leave the person in sin. Partial truth will not free you. The Bible says the truth sets you free. The truth, not partial truth, the truth sets us free. All right, the next thing that might have happened, he, he might have drank all of it. He might have just said, you know, I'm not going to trust it. Or he might have started with a little sip. <laughs> and we all know that works like a Lay's potato chip. You can't eat just one. So as soon as you take one, you're, before long the bag's gone. Katie, you're giggling. You must know what I'm talking about. You get that one, Jackie? All right, good, Jackie. That's not a wait, what? We won't have to worry about that, asking that question on Wednesday. But, you know, you start drinking, and you know what? It may be just enough just that you can't stop. So you just gulp it all down. So what happens here? Maybe your thirst is quenched. Did I say that right? Yeah. Maybe your thirst is quenched, but you have no long-term water supply because now you have nothing to prime the pump with. Well, there's another big one for us in life today. The short-term solutions are so tempting, aren't they? You know, if you're dating somebody and you think you're in love with somebody and you just don't want to wait. You don't want to wait for that moment of marriage to consummate it, right? So you think, ah, short-term temptations are so strong. Or maybe there's a other way to get quick, rich schemes, to think, oh, no, I just, I got to go for that. Or the gambling may be just enticing me because I think if I can just win that next lottery ticket, if I can just, uh, you know, do that, I'm going to get rich quick. And, you know, so you just, you, you just can't quite grasp the fact that, no, I, I can't invest there. It's not safe. It's not good. It's a short-term fun, short-term satisfaction, but there's no long-term return. It's all because these short-term solutions left the traveler and those to follow him with no provision or no hope for the future. All because he didn't believe what the the sign said. The sign said, pour the water down the well and you will have all the water you will need and enough for those that follow. Wow, this is really important too because those that follow us are counting on us to do our part. Those that are following us are counting on us to lead them down the right path and to give them the resources necessary. So our decision and actions to trust wisely and to to make wise investments here impacts more than just ourselves. See, as we obey God's laws of the harvest, we're not only providing for our own eternity, but we're doing everything we can to help others in their journey. That's really a big one. See, God has given us all responsibility. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a teacher. But you're a person that people are watching. We talked about that in Sunday school a lot today, didn't we? People are watching our lives all the time. And they're waiting for us. They're wanting to see what we're going to do. And it will give them maybe an encouragement to do what they want to do. And if we're not leading our lives right, if we're not being a good example for them, if we're not helping them, down the right path, then what are we doing to them? And if we're not making wise investments of our own time and our principles, then we're risking taking them down a path that would be very, very serious for both of us, for both of us. And that's why, as a pastor, that's why I spend as much time as I can preaching the truth of God's word, And some would look at that and say, I'm hard and maybe I'm too blunt sometimes. But, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know how to soften it any more than what it says. When the Bible says something, I just have to say it because that's the truth that we need to have. I I don't want to make a partial truth because if I make a partial truth, I could be wrong in that partiality and I could be leading you down the wrong path. And then it's bad for both of us because then your blood is on my life. God is going to look at me later on and say, who gave you the right, Mike? I, I had it written in the word. I, I said it exactly the way I wanted it to be said, and you thought you had a better way because maybe you wouldn't offend somebody. And I, believe me, I'm not trying to offend anybody. But love says I will speak the truth the best that I can and not make it partial. That is how we then live for the next person. And you know, dads and moms and grandparents, you have the same responsibility to yours, your family that are watching you, I know it's so tempting to be our children's friend or our we want to be the favorite grandparent. <laughs> we, want to be the, we want to be the grandpa they all like. <laughs> but you know what? They will thank you more if you tell them the truth in the process. You can still have fun with them. Still take them fishing and take them play and, and get out on the floor and play with them and do all that stuff. But when it comes time for serious discussions, be truthful with them and more importantly when it comes time for you to make your decisions in front of them be consistent in front of them let them see your life as speaking words of truth by the way you act and the, the way I act in front of my grandkids yeah really big really important for us God has given every one of us a sphere of influence that we're to take very seriously in how we live in front of our people that are watching us. So how do we apply this simple concept in our lives today? Especially because most of us are not farmers, (laughs) and most of us aren't thirsty travelers. So how do we take a farming example, and how do we take an example of a thirsty traveler, and how do we apply it ourselves? So let me talk to you about your life a little bit, and my life. What, What do we have that is valuable to us? What do you have? Tell me some things that are valuable to you. What do you have? Okay, salvation. What do you have to have to pay your bills with? Money. Money is important. We have time. Time is important. We have energy, right? We have resources beyond. Just money, but we have resources that we can use. We, there's lots of things that we have, lots of, of valuable commodity items that God has given us that we're to be responsible for. But here's a couple questions to ask ourselves about these precious things that we have about, about our money, about our time, about our energy, about our resources. Let me ask you, where did you get them from? Where? Yeah, God. I mean, all the things that we have come to us from the blessings of God. Now, we could say, yeah, but I went to to my work, and I earned them. Well, maybe you did. But then the question is, well, who gave you the job? (laughs) Who gave you the car to get to your job? (laughs) Who gave you the energy to get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, see, it all comes back. I don't care how far you want to peel the onion back. It all comes back to that our source is God. He is the provider of all things for us. So if God is the provider of all things for us, what do you think he expects us to do with them? So if God is the source of everything, then who owns everything? Really, who owns your car? Who owns your house? Not the bank. (laughs) God owns them, right? God, the Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and, and that means he owns everything because he created everything and he's just giving us the ability to be a steward over everything, correct? So if that's the case, why do we struggle so much with the idea of giving back what he asks for us to give back to him? Because he's the rightful owner. Why do I struggle so much? Then, when it says when it comes to volunteering my time at church or to go help my neighbor, why do I struggle so much when it comes time to writing a tithe check, or to or, or to um, go give over and above your tithe? Because so many of you are faithful with your tithing, and I'm so appreciative of that. But why do we struggle so much? Can it be maybe that can it be maybe that we don't trust? Maybe that we have. Um, A sin nature that still is within us, that is still making us a little bit concerned that maybe God isn't who he says he is. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest here because I'm just like you and I have that same thing. I have that certain level of income that I have and I know that that's all I have and I don't know where else it's going to come from if I, and so I'm, I'm really trusting God and, or I'm, I'm questioning maybe God. Say, God, I, what do you really want me to do with this because you know I don't have anything more than this? Well, Scripture has something to say. Malachi chapter 3. If you're a tither, you know this passage. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Some may say that this is a great passage for pastors to use to manipulate people to give more money to the church. And believe me, that's not the point. The point is that when we truly trust God, he will bring blessing upon blessing upon blessing beyond what we can even imagine. This is the only place in Scripture that I know of where God says, test me. We're not to test the Lord God Almighty. Jesus didn't test him. When he was tempted in the desert 40 days by the devil, He said that we're not to test our Lord God. Remember that? This is the time. We test him in our giving because what this really says is, this is my attitude. This is a gut check of my attitude. Do I really believe he owns it all? And do I really believe that he's going to be faithful if I'm faithful to him? This is a good question for us. This is a good gut check for us. If God already owns everything, he's being very generous Think about this. If God ever, if he already owns everything, he's being very generous for us in the the day that we live in to say, I only require a tenth. If you go back to the Old Testament days, and I know many will say that tithing is an Old Testament principle. It's not in the New Testament. But tithing in the Old Testament was much more than just a tenth. They had many offerings over and above this, and and it could have been maybe 30, 40% of what God required. And yes, I know that the word tithe has not been brought up in the New Testament, but Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the Old Testament, not to, not to abolish it. And it is, the principle of giving is still applicable here. So I guess I look at it as my heart. Am I truly, am I truly going to trust? Am I truly going to have a, my, is my relationship with the Lord good enough and strong enough that I trust him with everything that I have? It's a good question. In Proverbs, it goes, a little step, it's, it goes a step further. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine through ten. It says, "Honor the Lord, your with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine." Let me give you a little further challenge. It says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth, with what's left over from your crops." Is that what it's saying? It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit. Why is that important? Why is it important that we honor God with the first fruit and not what's left over? Pardon me? It shows our heart. It's a trust issue. Yeah. Because if I, if I say, all right, Lord, I will, I, I will give to you after I pay all my bills and I have some money left over, I will, I will tithe then. What kind of a test is that? What what kind of faith does that require? It's very little. In fact, probably what's going to happen is that you're going to find you won't have anything left over, (laughs) and you won't be able to give. But if anybody's a tither with me here this morning, I know that I probably could give many people an opportunity, and they would tell you that I have given my tithe, my ten percent, before I had even paid my bills. And they probably will tell you they never had a bill that didn't go unpaid. Now, you may have wants that you didn't get, but your bills were paid. That's an, that's an amazing principle. And maybe it is because it, it, the blessing may not come in the fact that you're going to get a 10% or a 110% return on your money, but maybe your refrigerator didn't break down. Or maybe your car's... Um, Breaks lasted longer than normal. See, things that we don't even know about, things that we can't even quantify. God has spared us many things that we may not even know. We may not know them until we get to heaven and maybe we can look back at our life real backwards. And God said, you know, when you were tithing and you were practicing that principle, I did all these things to protect the pests from devouring your crops. And we don't even know that right now. That's the beauty of tithing. That's the beauty of giving our first fruit. Now, the first fruit may also be considered the best things that you have. If I give God my garage sale items, (laughs) the things I don't want anyways, what kind of a sacrifice is that? No, I'm basically just, he's doing me a favor because he's taking my junk. I didn't want to have to pay to get, t- to get rid of it so I'll just give it to the church <laughs> yeah, thank you we appreciate your, your junk because some people can find great value out of junk <laughs> my wife's a great example of that she's good at that she's a repurposer and she can do great things with junk I on the other hand say don't give me the junk because it just fills up my garage <laughs> but she does and she figures it out man she's amazing I don't know how she does it because I don't have that creative gene but she does Give God your best. If it's your effort, if it's your time, if it's your resources, it doesn't make any difference. You give God your best, and I guarantee you, because the Bible guarantees it, it's not me. It's what the Bible says, that he will give you returns, and he will give you effectiveness, and he will give you productivity, and he will take the 90% go 110%. And this is also in our time. You know, this is really important in our time because I know that many of us are busy. And, you know, as we get into the busy summer season, It gets so busy. I'm telling you, I know what it feels like to get busy. You may be so busy working in your job that you just can't, boy, I just can't afford to come to Wednesday night. Mm. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. But here, let me just say, or Sunday morning or whatever time it is, but I will just venture to say that if you treat your time as a tithe, like you treat your money, that I bet you that if you said, no, I'm going to, no matter how busy I am, I'm going to make time to come together. I'm going to come time for Wednesday night prayer time, Wednesday night Bible study time, or Sunday morning church, or Bible study, or whatever it is. If you give God the first fruits of your time, I'll bet you you will have more productivity with the time left over than if you did. If you said, no, I'm going to use all my time to get my jobs done, I'll bet you there's going to be more problems happening in your life if you're not being faithful with that. Can you just trust God with that? This is what it means about leaving for others that are going to follow you. Because maybe I have a son or a daughter or a grandchild or somebody else watching me. And see, if I want to leave them a legacy, again, we talked about it in Sunday school today. If I want to leave them a legacy, I want them to say that when I, when I pass, I want them to say that man was a Christian, and I saw his fruit, and I saw his commitment, and I saw his dedication. And that man was in the house of God whenever the house of the the, the doors were open. He was at church, or he was doing this, or doing that. That was proving the fact that I truly was, my heart truly was centered on Christ, and He was the center point of my life. And I didn't let time rob me of that. I didn't let the busyness of life rob me from that. Does that make sense? Amen. My Bible commentary says this about first fruits. It says, The Israelites presented the first portion of their harvest as an offering to God in recognition of the fact that God was the rightful owner of everything. We too should give God the first portion of our income as a way of expressing gratitude and honoring Him as Lord of our lives and possessions. When we do this, God promises to bless us generously. Now, I know, I know according to the worldly view, putting God first just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense from the world to see a Christian's life. It doesn't. We, we baffle them to think that somebody's going to write a check. If you make $1,000, somebody's going to write a check for $100 to give to the church. Or if somebody makes $10,000, somebody's going to write a check for $1,000. Or if maybe you only make hundred dollars you write a check for $10. The world doesn't get that. They think, what are you doing that for? Or why are you, why does Wednesday night so important to you? Why do you think you have to go to church? You see, they don't get it. The world just doesn't get it. And sometimes it even stretches our faith. But if putting God first stretches your faith, is that bad? Is it bad that it would stretch us? I don't think it is. I think Jesus understands that. Jesus taught that giving is extremely important. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Proportion, what was that term you used today, Jim, in class? Directly Proportional. I should have put squiggly lines here, right? The amount you give is directly proportional to the amount that you give back. Does that make sense? That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. If God says it, I believe it. And I believe him. I'm going to take him at his word. So giving and getting back. The Lord is so so faithful to us. I just can't think of a time when God hasn't been faithful. And here is the fact, he doesn't need what you and I have to operate his kingdom. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need, he doesn't need your money. He's not poor. He's not running a tight ship this morning. You see, God's laws are all about us. God's laws are all about to bless us. It, he's not saying it. it guys, if, if you don't give your offering today, um, I don't have enough money to run the kingdom and I'm going to have to shut a light off in heaven because Centerpoint didn't, didn't pay their tithes to me this I mean, that's not God. I mean, God is light and his light is not based upon my giving or your giving. So when he says these things to us, what he's saying these things for is for our benefit because as I trust him, he has to then, I've given him the authority then to bless me, Right? It's for my benefit that I am challenged to give, not for his. He doesn't need me. I need him, and I trust him. And the more I trust him, the more I give to him, the more he has the authority to give back to me by my own proportional giving. If we would see it that way, and this isn't a way to be greedy on our side of it. It's just a way to know that God's principles are true. The reason he puts these laws into effect is because it's for our interest. He's not poor, not running a tight ship. By knowing and obeying God's principles, we keep God at the center point of our life. And by doing that, he helps us to learn to trust him more and to depend on him as our sole source of life. That is so important that if I can trust God being the sole source, that I don't need, I don't need anything else besides God. I don't need to trust anything else. If I can just get that into my heart, it proves to us and to God that we are truly in love with him. It helps us to realize that we are, are simply stewards of God's laws. It helps me to stay to the point that I don't become infatuated or overly infatuated with things of this world. How easily we can get distracted. We've talked about it. In, man, everything we talked about in Sunday school, we're talking about today. Do you know that, Jim? I didn't even realize that until just now. But we can get so distracted with the things of this world, so distracted with the short-term things of this world that we lose, we lose what it means to be truly a follower of Christ. And we lose eternity for that matter. It helps us keep our eyes on heaven, focused there. With everything in store for us in heaven, he's got so much more for us there if we would only learn to keep our eyes focused there today. And as we said at the very beginning, there is no downside of living no downside in living according to God's laws. So this morning, what are your resources? What are the things that you're struggling with? What are the things that you're holding tightly in your hands this morning? Can I just say that if you would just let those go, if you would just open your hands, it would, first of all, it would take a lot less work for you to open your hands and say, Lord, take it take it. I give it, to I give it to you freely. And as you give it to him freely, it gives him the authority to say, Mike, I don't need it. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give it back to your family. I'm going to give it back to your grandchildren. I'm going to give it back to the legacy that's going to follow you because you're pouring water in that, in that little cup for that next follower, the next traveler to come to pour his water into the, into the pump because you're filling that up. He says, thank you. But I don't really need it. I was just waiting to see if you were going to give it to me. And because you're giving it to me freely, I'm going to give it back to you with more. Isn't that a good word? Isn't that great that the law of investment really works? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning, for that law. We thank you, Lord, of how you are so faithful to us and how you never, ever stress us out by design. You test us. But you're testing us only to see how much we love you in return. And God, I pray that everyone here listening here would find that truth of that and would just say, Lord, maybe I have been stingy in the past. Maybe I've been a little bit reserved in my giving you my best. But Lord, I want to change today. And I want to trust you today for tomorrow. So I just pray right now in Jesus' name for every heart here this morning. Every heart that struggles with this, I pray freedom in their life. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would do a work of conviction in all of us today to just learn how to trust you more and how to just give to you and just be able to say, Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm a child of God. My relationship with you is so important that I don't want to do anything to hinder it. So, Lord, I just give you my all. In Jesus' name. That's a good prayer, folks. I encourage you to pray that on a regular basis. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, let's just sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing, and let's just take this as the time to, to surrender all that we have to Christ this morning. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him Folks, I just encourage you as you think about this this week that you would learn to do this and ask the Lord to give you joy of your giving. The Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to do this with duress. It might take some discipline on your side. It might take a commitment. It might take a real change of heart. But I pray that God gives you joy and he gives you and he gives you peace and happiness, and a sense of accomplishment by giving over and above, maybe. Maybe this will be the first time that you've really done that. Maybe you're a tither, and maybe he's saying, I want you to give a little bit more. I want you to give more of your time. I want you to give more of your effort. Whatever it is, I just pray blessing over you, and I pray joy over you, and peace and happiness as you obey the Lord, and as you trust him in this. Amen. Would you agree with that? Amen. Father, I just thank you for today. And Lord, I just pray that your blessing would fall on these people. I pray, Father, that you would have a covering of of heartfelt blessing, Lord, as people do the things that they're asked to do. Lord, that we will understand that you are the owner of all things. And we are simply stewards of them. And Lord, we just give them back to you with a joyful heart. And with happy faces, we just open our hands to you and say, Lord, take it. Take all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed this morning as you go.